All right, well, good morning to each of you, and thank you so much for being here at the uh, Sunday School Hour here at Community. And I want to start off by thanking Craig and whoever else to whom it may be appropriate to say thank you for the opportunity to uh, have the ABF class this morning. In all my years of ministry, I always kept reminding myself what a great privilege it was to be able to present and preach and teach the Word of God, and I, I, I haven't ever gotten over that. So thank you so much for entrusting me with this opportunity this morning. Um, my name is Tom Coleman. I've met so many of you. Thank you for your kindness and friendliness. That, that means so much in a local church, but I, I'll just say that uh, maybe one more time so that, uh, you know, who's that guy that was up there this morning? But uh, I would like to ask you if you'd open your Bibles, please, to the fifth psalm. Psalm 5. I'd like to begin by reading the entire psalm, even though, as you can see there from the title screen there, that we'll be honing in particularly on verse number three. But I want to do a little something with the psalm and with the context so that we're not uh, unaware of what surrounds the verse that we're going to be spending our time on this morning. Uh, I'm going to read uh, from the King James Version this morning. Please don't read anything into that. It's just the Bible I have and the Bible I'm used to. I will be uh, referring to the ESV, some uh, noticing uh, some of the words that are a little bit different that might require some explanation. But let me read from the first verse. It's only 12 verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day you've given to us. We thank you for the sunshine and the rain. If nothing more, the rain helps us appreciate the sunshine. But we're so grateful for your watch care and appreciate and thank you for the fact that uh, the temperature didn't dip any lower so that we could be here this morning and drive safely. And uh, we're mindful of some uh, in other parts of the country that don't have that this morning, that have major winter storm problems. Give them wisdom in what they do. Watch over and protect believers as they make decisions about church today and whatever will come to pass. We think more broadly, Lord, of the work of God on this Lord's Day, the kingdom of God. We pray that it shall increase. We pray that souls will be saved, that uh, believers will be strengthened and edified. And we thank you that at the end of this day, if Jesus tarries, we know that we will be one day closer to your coming again. 
We thank you for these great glorious truths. Lord, as we take some time now for Psalm 5, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. These things I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, my subject this morning is prayer. And my text, of course, is Psalm 5.3, as you see there on the screen. A little bit about the psalm by way of introduction. Um, Take note, if you will, of the superscription. I think we like to call it those little words that are in smaller font that are nearly impossible to read as you get a little older. Um, that tell us a little bit about the best knowledge we have about the background of this psalm. You'll notice that it says here, to the chief musician upon Nehaloth, a psalm of David. So David is the author of this psalm, and the term Nehaloth, which is, it's one of those terms, I think the ESV just goes right ahead and translates this, flutes, written for the flutes, and uh, that's probably our best understanding of what Nehaloth means, the flutes. It's always kind of interested me that uh, you think about David, and David is a mighty warrior. You just kind of get a picture of someone like that. And uh, David is the person who came back from battle, and the women said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. So this this man is a mighty warrior. We, We know of his fabled exploits with Goliath and all of his battles with the Philistines and the enemies of Israel, and how he was used by God to carve out all that territory that became the kingdom of Israel that Solomon had the privilege of inheriting and then administrating. And at the same time, he's a musician. And I don't know if you think those things clash and don't, don't go together, but I find they, they work out very fine. Uh, it's a blessing to me to know that a man like this has a tender heart, has a passionate heart, has a heart that could express itself in music. And I don't consider myself anywhere in David's class either way. But I do read that he's the sweet psalmist of Israel, and... I just appreciate about the fact that you can be a man's man and still have a passionate heart for God. And I think that that's what you see expressed so often with David. So we know that. We don't know very much about the occasion of this psalm, but if you look back at Psalm 3, here's what you're going to find if you do some reading and concentrating and studying on this. I think you'll come to the conclusion that The best we can do with imagining or guessing in a sanctified way about an occasion for Psalm 5 would be to probably envision that if we can get specific, it's probably the the same occasion that Psalm 3 was written on. You'll notice here it says a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And that's an incredible experience. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine uh, what went on in that, dealing with all those people who proved to be traitors, Uh, And then to have it strike so close to home that it was his own son who betrayed him and basically made an attempt to oust him and take over the kingdom and was ready to see him put to death so that he could take over completely. But we don't have time for a lot of it this morning. But most students of these psalms will agree that Psalm 3 and 4 basically are on the same occasion. You don't find any superscription that tells you that except that David wrote Psalm 4 also. But the language, the background, the situations that he's describing himself and praying about is so similar. And if you want to do some further work on this sometime, Psalm 3 really makes something good to study or talk about or give a lesson. Uh, I have a a message actually on both of these psalms where uh, the Psalm 3 is ready for the day and Psalm 4 is ready for the night. But let me give you an example, because when you have these kind of traumatic circumstances come into your life, there are some things that will help you deal with them. 
all of us as men, where do we really go when we have these traumatic situations like this come into our lives? Where can we go? But just to show you at least one example of the similarities in language, you'll notice Psalm 4, 2. And it says, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? Well, think about this. Here's a man who sits on the throne of, of the nation of Israel, and he's had to flee now. This is kind of a, a thing that you could easily describe as being shamed. And uh, he says, beyond this, how long will ye love vanity, which is a, a term we also find him complaining about in verse number five. And then it says this, and seek after leasing. Well, we don't use that term that way anymore. That's definitely a term from the King James that's antiquated, and that use is not in practice today. But look at Psalm 5, 6. We read this a moment ago. And it says, Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Anybody know what it means? Well, probably if you just look down at what you have there, it says lying, and that's exactly what it's referring to. And, of course, when you envision this occasion of this rebellion of Absalom, and you think about deceitful men, bloody men, and you think about how Absalom deceived all those people. He basically stole the hearts. Remember this? He basically stole the hearts of the men of Israel and flattered them. It also talks about flattery we're going to see in a few moments. And won them over to the point that he could stage what was almost a successful rebellion. This is what David is upset by. This is what he's praying about. But in any case, regardless of that, and that's about all we have time to do, Clearly, the theme of Psalm number 5 is prayer. Look at the first three verses. There's just no way you can miss this. Give ear to my words. And then look at the phrase that's used in parallel to this. O Lord, consider my meditation. You have groaning in the ESV. Not to worry, because that word that's translated meditation is a word that can mean to mutter or to groan. And so groan is not a bad translation really here in the context because David is pouring out his heart. He has a complaint, if, if you want to use that term, that he pours out before the Lord. Or he has a meditation that he's engaged in with God. I might stop for a moment and just make the point, you know, we often think, folks, that prayer is just us talking to God. Sometimes we differentiate between our prayer and Bible reading. We say, well, our Bible reading is God talking to us and prayer is us talking to God. And you can make those distinctions. They're helpful to an extent. But if you miss out on the fact that prayer is, is a two-way communication also, you really missed out on what prayer is all about because it isn't just us talking to God. It's as we commune with God and talk with God and God then speaks to us. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened with me and it, I, I want it to happen because I know that it's rich. I know that it's what I'm really looking for in the experience of prayer. And so that's, that's not a bad translation, neither is groaning in the context. Look at the next verse, hearken unto the voice of my cry. So he, he's crying out to God. We do that in prayer. Addresses God as my king and my God. He says, if this isn't clear enough for you, this phrase will be unto thee will I pray. Notice also verse 3, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. Well, if we're thinking about somebody who gets up and starts singing in the morning, I suppose that could be an example of this. But a lot of us don't do that or shouldn't do that. And so he makes it clear what kind of voice he's talking about. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. I know you have sacrifice. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But in the morning I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. So it's abundantly clear. You just can't miss this. And then you say, well, you just read the first three verses for us. Yeah, well, if you go ahead and read the whole psalm, which we did at the outset, 
and it's one of the reasons that I did, you'll find out that if you consider verses 1 through 3 the, the opening statement of the, of the, and, the, and where the theme is spelled out for us, he, it's the prayer that gets developed in verses 4 through 12. You find the petitions. You find the real pouring out of his heart. If he's going to groan, if he's going to meditate with God, if he's going to cry out to God about what? And he tells you that in verses 4 through 12. And so uh, I think we're on very solid ground. I, what I want to do is to capture one verse, because I think if you were to look for a verse in this that's key, if you were look to a verse here that is pungent, a verse that's, that's pregnant with meaning perhaps above the others, then I think you have verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. And I think we will find here three key things about David's example in prayer. Now, I find David inspirational. I hope you do. I find a lot of people in the Bible inspirational, but if I'm looking to somebody about a, a man after God's own heart, he's described that way, correct? And I want to have that too, and I understand that that refers a lot to his personal worship. Well, then, we have an example set for us here. So I have three thoughts this morning to you about prayer that come from the example of David. And the first thing I want to talk about is the privilege of prayer. So because he says to us in verse 3, My prayer shalt thou hear in the morning. We know that this is David's take on the day. He starts his day with prayer. Well, right away I have a challenge in that. Right away I have a challenge for you in that. Do I start my day with God? Do I start my day with prayer? What kind of a day was it going to be like? Well, for the most part, you and I don't know that. I mean, we can know what we have planned in a day. So we can have some idea. We might know we have a meeting with somebody who's really kind of a, a thorny person. And so that's a burden. We've prayed about that. We may have some knowledge of what's going to happen in a day. At least we think we do. But in this case, if we're right about the background of this being David and his situation with Absalom, here's what David knows he's going to face in this new day. He's going to be dealing with wicked and unscrupulous people. Now, I know many of us go to work out in the world, and perhaps you're surrounded by some people like that, but this is, this is that on steroids. Anything that you've got to deal with, this is probably that on steroids when you think about what David's having to deal with. And so look at some examples of this. This is where we'll just uh, pay some homage to the other thoughts of the content of the prayer. Look what he says in verse 5. What, what, are, what exactly, what's that look like if we talk about wicked and unscrupulous men? Well, it says, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of, of iniquity. He's surrounded by workers of iniquity, these people who betrayed him and these people who are now in charge. Look at verse uh, number 6. Liars, I mentioned this earlier, thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. So, to be constantly surrounded by workers of iniquity, liars. He mentions enemies. Now, if you read David's Psalms, you're going to find, that seems like the one thing that David talks about more than anything else is his enemies. And, uh, you know, I used to read the Psalms and get, I hate to put it this way, I'd almost get a little tired of that because it almost seemed a little bit like a one-string banjo. And finally, I came to the place in my understanding of all of this where I realized, you know, David's talking about it because that's the key challenge he has so often. 
All I have to do is substitute the key challenge I have. That, that's, that's what's going on. That's the wonderful thing about the Psalms. And then he talks about flatterers. Remember earlier I said about this. I mean, this is what Absalom did. I mean, he had this down to a science, really, to, to, to uh, catch these men as they were coming in. Remember, the Bible describes that. And, oh, he'd say, what, what, what are you coming to see the king about today? What is your problem? And he would listen to them, which gets you points with most people right away, right? He would listen to their story, and he would say, well, you see, the whole problem is there's no man deputed by the king to listen to your matters. But if I were king, oh, brother. Well, there it goes. And so this is, this is dealing with those types of people. You think about Absalom's betrayal, if that's the occasion. I like the way that Alex Motyer puts this now. I could recommend a book to you if you'd be interested sometime. Um, it's, a, it's, not, it's not what you would say a, is a typical commentary on the Psalms. It is that, but it's not your typical commentary. Um, it is, I'll give you the title of it, it's Psalms by the Day. And if you were to look into that book, what you would find is Alex Motyer is a, is a Hebrew scholar for one and has taught this for years. So what he does is he goes through and groups the Psalms as he, as he mentions in his, the title of his book, By the Day. So he may give you some Psalms for the day. But he goes down through, and instead of having a full-fledged commentary, he just goes down through the text, provides his own translation, and then gives you footnotes as to some of the incredibly rich nuggets that are involved in those words. So I think that's a book you could easily handle even if you don't have exposure to the to the. You easily handle this book, even if you don't have exposure to the, to the original languages. You might be interested in looking up the book sometime. But I, what I'm working towards is this. This is a helpless feeling. How do you change people like that? I mean, if you're, if you're surrounded by wicked and unscrupulous people, well, we know that the power of the gospel can change people like that. But what happens if you're surrounded by them and they prove an extraordinarily resistant to that? And folks, there's a lot of examples of this going on in our society today. Um, there's a lot of situations like this. And it, you just sort of come to the place, as I think David did, that he realized that there was, it was out of his control. It was just totally out of his control. Maybe he didn't always have to feel that way, but you know, back in the early days when he was running from Saul, he felt that way. You can read some of the Psalms. It was out of his control. He was outgunned. He was outmanned. I mean, he told Jonathan on the occasion when Saul went on one side of the mountain with his troops and David went on the other side, he said, there's but a step between me and death. That's how desperate he felt. And the fact that he would, even at this point in his tenure as king, feel the need to leave Jerusalem and flee, as it were, I think tells you that he may have had other reasons why he chose to do that. He may have wanted to do that because he wanted to spare certain things and people, but the situation had spun out of control. And folks, I want to tell you, say to you, you know, there's a lot of times as men, and it's, it's also true of ladies, teens, kids, but there's a lot of times when we just find ourselves in situations and, you know, you just say to yourself, I'm in over my head. I remember when we first started having kids. That's the first thing I thought to myself, I'm in over my head. 
I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I thought my father was a good example. And I, I thought that I was raised with good values, even though we, weren't, we were nominal Christians. We, salvation hadn't hit, so to speak, till later. But I've got these kids on my hands. They've got wills. They've got hearts of their own. And what do I have? Now I've got prayer. I've got the Word of God. And I'm going to do my due diligence, and the rest is in God's hands. But I, I just always had that attitude. I, I'm in over my head. Life is that way. Serving the Lord is that way. Living every day godly in Christ Jesus is that way. But there are times when we have some pretty extenuating circumstances, and that's what David has here. But, you know, have you ever stopped to think about what it's like for people around you who also face, I mean, we don't face these things just because we're Christians. We face these things because that's the way the world is. Situations in everyone's life, the lives of unbelievers, spin out of control. Where do they turn? When they feel helpless, when they feel like that, that, that life is spun out of control, they've lost their job, their marriage is on the rocks, whatever else is going on, and, and, and they're helpless to do anything about it, where do they turn? They don't have God to turn to. This is the difference between you, me, and David. David had God to turn to. He said, in the morning, I will direct my prayer unto thee. I'm going to begin my day with you because you're not helpless. I may be, but you're anything but. Here's some examples. Um, we don't have a lot of time for these, but so we may have to sort of move through them fairly quickly. I think you can probably read that. Yeah, it's a little better that way, but anyway... I tried to choose a font that I was pretty comfortable that you could read, but you know this verse? Do you think about these guys with this contest of, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? That's, what, that's where this verse comes from. And Elijah challenges them to this contest, and it's going to be a showdown. Who is God, Baal or Jehovah? Who's God? So you know the deal, they put their sacrifice. He says, you go first. And they prepare their sacrifice, and they put it there and all that stuff, and it gets to be about noontime and nothing's happened. And Elijah starts to mock them. He says, well, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's off pursuing. I never really look at what that word literally means, but I'm thinking to myself, well, it could be maybe he's off hunting. Or maybe he's off chasing enemies. I don't know. Maybe he's off pursuing. Or maybe he's involved in some business. And so they ratcheted it up then. They started cutting themselves with lancets and all that kind of stuff. And what's this verse say? They took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, hear us! But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altars that they had made. Look at this next example quickly. How about this woman in Luke chapter 8? This woman who has the issue of blood, 12 years. You could get pretty, uh, you get pretty discouraged with that, right? Especially when you read the next part about she'd spent all her living with the physicians. No help. I'm not criticizing doctors, but they have their limits, right? This woman, she was at the end of herself. Think about how humiliating, how difficult it would be to live with that kind of a problem. It would render you unclean, for one thing. But just the embarrassment of it, the difficulty of it. And she hears about Jesus and she thinks, 
There may be help there. She goes, comes from behind, touches the hem of his garment. Look what it says. Neither could be healed by any. That's coming to the end of yourself. That's realizing there's nowhere else to go but God. Came behind him and touched the border of his garment. Immediately her issue of blood stanched. Look at one more. How about this father? How about this father who has the boy who's cruelly demon-possessed, and he foams, and he gnashes, and he has some type of epilepsy or whatever it is that, that causes these horrendous spells to come over him. And it's so pathetic when you read these verses from Mark chapter 9. Verse 17, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. It means they rendered him unable to talk. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth, and is with his teeth and pineth away. And here's the, here's, here it is. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. But Jesus could. This is what I, I, I just want to try to capture your hearts with this thought this morning. This is the privilege that you and I have. People around us face some of the same circumstances that are beyond our ability to solve or deal with, but where do they turn? They turn to false gods, they turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to people who can't help them, but you and I can call upon God. And I have some verses for you on this, and it, it might be surprising to you to find out how many times you have this kind of thing being mentioned by the psalmist and elsewhere in the scripture. He says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, but you don't get your help from the hills. It might be a good military strategy. But you don't get your help there. You get your help from God. It's a question, as you have it in the ESV, from whence does my help come? My help cometh from the Lord. I mean, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. That's one of your Proverbs. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You do your part, but the rest is up to God. Better know that. Psalm 123, unto thee, Lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. See, when we're helpless, God is anything but. He dwells in the heavens. He's above it all. Behold, and here it now is an illustration, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters. You have to wait on them. You're dependent upon them, which is exactly where you and I need to understand we are as every day begins. We are dependent upon God. And the minute we go out there and we try to live the Christian life and do our thing, depending on ourselves and in our own self-strength and reliance, you're, you're cruising for a bruising. And God's going to let you stumble, make a mistake to remind you. I love this verse. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus knows all about our weakness. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, that's not you, that's not me. What you can say from what that verse is talking about is, is that Jesus knew temptation like no one else ever has because he never fell to it, which means he was exposed to everything it had to dish out. He took it to the maximum ability of the temptation to work on him. You and I often don't do that because we often cave early. So it says, come to the throne of grace boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help of time of need. I'm, I'm accustomed to every time I quote that verse to myself, thinking to myself, that's now. That's every moment. It isn't just in this extenuating circumstance. It's all day long. 
is a time of need. Well, we need to move along. So let's, uh, I want to skip that one. Let's go to our second thought. So we have the privilege of prayer. I hope this is something you're utilizing. I hope this is something that the resource, you've got it. But let's talk about the time of prayer. And this is where it gets interesting because it's really hard to mistake this since the verse tells us this was in the morning and it mentions it two times. Go back and look at verse 3 once again. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. So that's occasion number one. In the morning, he says it again, will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. That's for people like me where you don't get it the first time. So he has to say it twice. There it is. And I said that I would come back and talk about this. Um, He says, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Will direct my prayer unto thee. And the ESV, it, it depends, I don't know, it depends maybe you have a footnote on this with your Bible. I don't know if you do or not. But if you don't have the footnote, Maybe you just don't have one that has a, is a study Bible or something because the ESV does give a footnote on this verse. And in that footnote, it goes on to say, or direct my prayer. So what's going on? Well, it's one of those times where the translators could have gone either way. And either is a valid translation. So no, uh, no aspersion, whatever, on the ESV. I will tell you, though, why I prefer what we have in the King James Version. I like the way they handled this. I think they did the better job of recognizing what's going on in the context. See, there is no, excuse me for being technical for a moment, but you just have a verb here. You don't have a direct object. It just says, I will order or I will direct. If you have a King James and you look at it, the word my prayer is in italics. So you don't have a direct object. The context tells you what's going on. Well, what's the word mean? The word means to lay or set out in or to order. It's used, for example, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 9, and, and the ESV may get the, the translation here from that. But this is in the context of Abraham and Isaac, and it says that Abraham laid the wood in what? What was that word? Order. So that's where that idea, that's what this verb means, to order something, to arrange some, something or to set something or lay something out. For example, it's also used in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. In that verse, they're talking about, that actually may be Goliath in that verse, I'm not sure, but they're talking about setting the battle in array. What's that mean? You, you put those troops out there where you want them to be. You order the battle. Remember King Ahab asked that on one occasion, who shall order the battle? And that's what they're talking about. That's what this word means. But there's no actual direct object. So if you, you supply a word, that's not a problem because it's a, little bit, it's a little bit unhelpful in English if you don't supply a direct object. What is it you're ordering? David says, I will order it. I will lay it out. Well, I mean, the ESV goes with the translation sacrifice, so they supply that. But what's, what's really going on in the context? For my money, I'm, you, you come to your own opinion, it's fine. That's why we have the priesthood of the believer. But for me, what he's, what's going on in the context is prayer. To me, sacrifice is an extraneous thought. It's prayer that's going on. It's deep, earnest, pouring out of your soul to God. And man, this is exactly what we have the privilege to do in prayer, is it not? You come to God and lay it out. And you're not ashamed to do that. 
God already knows. So as long as you come with the right attitude, you can tell him anything you want to tell him. I used to say that in business meetings. I used to say to people, you know, especially if we had something delicate coming up, I used to say to people, you know, this is a Baptist church. You can say anything you need to say. That was my first qualification. Do you need to say it? The second was, as long as you say it in the right spirit, well, they mostly listened. But that's really not a bad take on how you can come to God. You can read the lives of a lot of people that complain to God. We just had a whole series on it with Job. But you can read about Jeremiah. You can read the prophets. They didn't hold back from telling God exactly what they were thinking. Isn't that the blessing? This privilege that I was talking about. Isn't that the privilege that we have that you can come into God's presence and just lay it out? You aren't going to be apprising him of anything he doesn't already know you know. You got to tell him about your weakness. Tell him about your temptation. Tell him about your foibles. He already knows. It's just you being honest about it before God. And as to habit, there's no mistaking the fact that David's habit was to pray in the morning. Look at these verses. These, I, I, there's a lot of references in the Psalms, but I specifically wanted to choose ones that come from, or at least that the psalm is acknowledged to be by David. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray. So um, it's important to see that he put morning, not just evening and noon. This wasn't just about saying the blessing. This is kind of the idea of praying without ceasing, right? Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 55, 17, verse 22, what does it say? Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Lay it out, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Or Psalm 108, verse 2, awake, psaltery, and harp. I myself will awake early. This is another uh, Psalm of David. That's habit. Is there any wisdom to this? Because, see, I already know what you're thinking, so I'm going to get there and tell you in a moment, because I already know. But as to the wisdom of this, I would give you two thoughts to think about. First of all, this is also a Psalm of David, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 2. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David said, I'm out here in the boondocks. And I want to have an experience with you that's no less than what I have when I'm right there in church, in the temple. But she, folks, in the morning, I think you will... Don't worry, I'm going to come and address what you're thinking in a moment. But I know in my experience, that hunger is always the strongest. That thirst is always the strongest first thing in the morning. So I'm going to go there. I'm going to capitalize on that. I'm going to capitalize on when I want it the most, when I need it the most, starting my day. As to the wisdom of it, it's not only when the appetite is strongest and greatest, but it's when, uh, there are exceptions to this, so. But generally speaking, it's when your mind is the clearest and when you're the most free of distractions. So this is an example from the Master. This is Mark 1.35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. 
Was that wise for him to do? Sure was, because look at the context. Look what came before. Verse 32 says, And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and all them that were possessed with devils. That's what's right before this. It's all these people pressing upon him with ministry needs. And after it, even when he goes out there and finds that place to get away from it all, early in the morning to pray, Simon Peter and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. If you don't make some effort to get away from that, you're going to get into the day. You're going to be distracted by a thousand things. So I'll address maybe what you're thinking. Uh, this, is, to me, is not a point to be dogmatic about. I don't find dogmatism about this point warranted because people have different work schedules at times. People are put together differently. So I will give you that. I understand that. But dogmatism might not be warranted, but striving for what is best is. And for many of us, our problem here is not so much that we can't function in the morning. It's not so much that we can't give God 10 minutes in the morning. It's that we're not committed enough to do it. That's the problem. So I, I, I don't like a lot of personal illustrations, but I just want to tell you what happened to me that cured me of this problem. I started off as a freshman at Bob Jones. A lot of people had that experience. I got up in the morning and said, well, I'll have my devotions later. I need my sleep or whatever. Guess what? I was busy till 4 o'clock that day. I mean, with classes, chapel, everything else. I didn't have my devotions. Oh, tomorrow will be better. It's Tuesday. It's a little bit lighter schedule. I got the next morning and I get my devotions done. Too busy. Too many other things pressed in. Too many other considerations. Too many other things to do. Study, whatever else. Eat lunch, supper. I said, I can't tolerate this. I can't handle this. I can't survive this way. Well, back in those days, they said you could get up at 5.30 in the morning. I don't know what to say now. So I just made the commitment. I started doing that as a freshman in college. That was as early as they'd let you get up. I spent all four years on Second West Reveal, if you can believe that. So I got real accustomed with going down to that basement room where you could study and just getting off as best I could by myself and having my devotions. I think if I, this is hard to say and make it sound right, but if I did anything right, it was that. If I did anything smart, it was that. Do you understand how I mean it when I'm saying that? I only mean God showed me that. I've done that ever since. I don't even have to set a clock. Seriously, I don't have to set a clock. It's rare if I sleep past 5.30. It's really rare if I sleep, sleep past 6 o'clock. It's not uncommon for me to wake up earlier. As I get up, it's quiet. I don't have competition. Set the coffee pot off, get my coffee, get over there in the chair. It used to be I'd get my Bible, now I get my iPad. Times have changed. What I'm doing hasn't. Do I ever miss a day? It's happened. It'll happen for you, too. 
You know what you need to do is just don't let that get to you. Satan will try to discourage you. Get right back up the next thing and start doing it. If you can't spend an hour, spend 10 minutes. I'm serious. Maybe you think that's lowballing it. Maybe you think, well, you should be challenging, challenging people to a much higher and, and greater commitment. Maybe. But you have to start somewhere. You have to start with something you will do, something you realistically can do. And if you do 10 minutes and do it consistently, you'll build a habit. And the first thing you know, you know what? You'll want more. You'll increase it. Nobody will have to really bug you that much to do it. You will increase it. You know, I always get interested in this. Again, to me, dogmatism is unwarranted. I hope you heard that. I've tried to say it three times. So don't turn me off because you say, well, I, I'm working at that time or I can't. I understand some of that. But, you know, I hunted a lot, and I never, I mean, I didn't necessarily look forward to getting up, but I never had a problem with it. I was excited about going out, especially opening day. I know a lot of the same guys that did the same thing, and they were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I mean, you'd get there and, ah, you know, they're, but they didn't hit a lick of the snake in their walk with God. Let's talk about one other thing real quick. Our time's about gone, but we can at least pay a little attention to this. Um, there's the blessing of prayer. I like this phrase at the end. And this is where um, I was talking earlier about, you know, you utilize prayer not just to talk to God, but for God to talk to you. And I sometimes, if, if, I'm, if I'm doing my prayer while I'm out walking, sometimes I'll read my Bible and then go for my daily walk. And other than lunatics on the road, I don't have to worry about being interrupted too much. So I, I find that I can pray in that context too. And I sometimes have memory verses in my pocket with me because I'm walking, I may be walking for longer until I get through my prayer. I still want to keep my mind on what I'm trying to do, so I pull those memory verses out. And I had Psalm 5-3 for a while, and I kept saying this thing to myself and saying this thing to myself, and I was going through this back in the context of November and December when all that hoorah was going on. And I'd been praying and praying and praying, and it just seemed like my prayers were getting nowhere. It just seemed like whatever was going on was totally, and I just thought to myself, you know, this is above my pay grade. I don't, I don't need to be concerned. I, God, God makes the decision who's going to win the election. God knows what's going on, and he knows a whole lot more than I do, so I'm just going to pray to the best I understand and leave it with God. But I'd get discouraged. I went through a period where I couldn't really pay much attention to the news because it ruined my day. I'm serious. It just, I had a guy send me a link to a, he said, you'll want to see this. I, I, I let it sit in my inbox about three days because I saw what it was. And then I emailed him back and I said, brother, I'm really sorry. I said, I can't look at that right now. It's a stumbling block to me. It sounds funny to say that, but it's a stumbling block to me. I, I just, it's too much. It's too discouraging. And I got out there one day and, and was going through this verse. My prayer shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I hit that and will look up. I just about fell over. I said, there it is. That's exactly what I need. I don't need to be looking at everything that's around me. I don't need to be looking at everything that is so discouraging that's going on around me. The ESV says watch, but the, the neat thing about that and watch is what the word means. The neat thing about watch is, is if you're, watch implies expectation, right? We say we should watch for Jesus coming. 
So we should, we should be expectant about Jesus coming. Well, if we're watching for the answer to our prayer, this is the point. If we're watching for the answer to our prayer, where are we looking? We're looking to God. Now, I have to, I have to end, so I want to just... Years ago, um, when I started pastoring in Pennsylvania, I was thinking about special meetings for the church and who we would have and so forth. And I reviewed a lot of the church's history and found that when the church was dedicated that they had had Hal Webb there. Anybody remember the name Hal Webb? Maybe you've sat in meetings with Hal and Theron. So I got acquainted with them and had them at the church on a couple of occasions and we got to be good friends. And not only did we get to be good friends, but he, Hal eventually asked me to serve on his board and Actually, when he passed away, I was his executive director and had to handle a lot of those affairs. But they'd come to the church, and if you ever were in any of those meetings, I mean, it was, it was a good time. I mean, they had plenty of stuff there for the kids, but the adults would seem to be just as interested as the kids were. And they'd sing those songs, you know, and I took a little umbrage, to be honest with you. The other day, I read a lady who was commenting on the Internet, and I don't know if she knew where the song came from or who sang it or anything like that, but she said she called it cheesy fun. And I kind of thought to myself, well, it's fun. It's a fun song, but I don't know that I think it's cheesy. To me, it catches this point. If you ever heard them sing this song, here you go. When Noah took his family on the ark, on the ark, the sky above them, it grew dark, oh, so dark. But the window on the ark was up on top, and until the rain did stop, he didn't look around, he just looked up. He didn't look around, he didn't look around, he just looked up, up, up. He didn't look down, he didn't look around, he just looked up, up, up. He didn't look down in deep despair, he didn't look around to a world of care, he just looked up, and God was with him there. My wife could tell you about how I'd parade around the house and imitate them. But I just, it got the point, right? It got the point. We don't have time for that, but let's go to this. Men, when Craig asked me to do this, he said, I said, well, it, you know, it's a, it's a one-off, right? Because it's, it's a fifth Sunday. It's not continuing the series that I can hear that Jerry is doing, right? Well, any particular topic or, well, Pastor and I sort of, we've talked about this kind of like the theme of commitment. Well, here's my challenge about commitment today. To your walk with God, to your time with God. What's it going to do to make that happen? And is there something here that God is speaking to your heart about today? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will encourage, help, and bless us. Lord, thank you for the resources you've given to us. Thank you that you are the great and only potentate, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And when we are helpless and when we are over our heads and when we are, a, it is above our pay grade, thank you that it's not above yours. You have everything in complete control. Help us to look to you. Help us to be uplifted as we look up and be encouraged and strengthened and blessed. Give us a deep commitment to our daily walk and to our time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.